So today we're going to be in Psalm chapter 1, the first psalm. It's a psalm about prayer, it's a psalm about God's word, it's a psalm about life with God, and it's a psalm about how to have the good life, which I'm sure for some of us as we're ending 2023, going into a new year, we're thinking about that, like how do I have a better year next year than I had this year? Uh, what do I need to do? What do I need to change? Who, I, who do I need to be as I go into this new year? So I think there's something for everyone in Psalm chapter one. So we're gonna get into that in just a second, but before we read Psalm one, just a brief introduction to the Psalms for those of you who are new to the Psalms. Uh, I know some of you might be familiar, but some of you might not know what the Psalms are, but the Psalms is a collection of 150 poems, prayers, and hymns or songs found in the Old Testament in the Bible and they're really beautiful. Uh, a pastoral hero of mine, Eugene Peterson, said this about the Psalms. Most Christians for most of the Christian centuries have learned to pray by praying the Psalms. The Hebrews, with several centuries of a head start on us in matters of prayer and worship, provided us with this prayer book that gives us a language adequate for responding to the God who speaks to us. I love that. The Psalms give us language adequate to respond to the God who speaks to us. And the reality is that the impulse to pray is in all of us. Like, I know some of your stories really well, and then some of you, I, I don't know almost anything about you, but I know whether you're a follower of Jesus or whether you're exploring the faith or whether you don't believe in God, whatever, the impulse to pray is inside of us. Whether that is saying, please, when we need something, or help me when we're in trouble, you know, and we need rescue, or maybe it's something like, um, thank you, when we just experience something beautiful and we just don't know what, we just wanna say thanks to someone for this or maybe just life is going well and we're grateful, there's gratitude inside of us and we just wanna thank someone or maybe it's a why God moment where you are down and struggling and asking questions and doubting and you're like, why are you allowing this to go on, God, I don't understand. Prayer is very natural to us and it just flows out of people regardless of our background or our faith situation. Prayer comes naturally to people. But at the same time, in my experience as a pastor over the years, I find prayer to be the thing that most people struggle with the most, which is weird. It's like it comes naturally, but we struggle with it. And if that's true of you, I think there could be a lot of reasons for that. Um, it could be that you just don't know how to pray. And you've tried a few times and you found it boring and you're like, uh, this just isn't for me. Or maybe you're a perfectionist and you try really, really hard but you don't feel like you do a good job or you're embarrassed for someone else to hear you or you just don't feel comfortable. It feels awkward praying. Or maybe um, you feel disqualified to pray. Maybe you feel shame and guilt over sin or maybe you feel far from God and like, actually, I can't come to God and speak to him or come into his presence and be with him. Like, I, I'm not worthy of that. I don't deserve to do that. So you feel disqualified. Or maybe you feel busy Life is just too busy to pray. Your priorities are a bit mixed and you care about God, but you actually care about other things more. Or, or maybe it's just distraction, which I think for a lot of us in this room, distraction would be up there for why we don't pray. You know, we've got a lot going on. We've got short attention spans. We've got cell phones around us all of the time that are really tempting and those notifications are great and we get drawn away from prayer to other things or maybe for you it's something else. <coughs> But the Psalms help us to get started in prayer. They help us to get started in a life of prayer and become people of prayer and be formed as prayers. And these Psalms are really unflashy, they're raw, they're ordinary. 
They are relatable, they are authentic. And as you read them, you'll see that these Psalms are not polished or perfect. They are full of questions and doubts and fears and emotion. These Psalms are the kind of prayers that you and I would pray if we were going to pray, you know? These are the kind of things that people like you and I are dealing with that are being brought to God in the Psalms. And the Psalms are not a random collection of songs and hymns and prayers. They're curated by someone. Someone went through these prayers and put 150 together in a specific order by design and with intentionality. It's a curated book of art to help us to pray. It's the prayer book of the Bible. <coughs> Excuse me, you're gonna love that cough today while I preach. Um, Martin Luther actually called Psalms a mini Bible because it covers the full story of God from creation to renewal at the end. So he called Psalms a mini Bible. Someone else called Psalm 1 a mini book of Psalms. So today when we're in Psalm 1, you're gonna have like a Bible in a Bible in a Bible. It's a real like Bibleception situation going on today. But this is an incredible book and then Psalm 1 is an incredible chapter because of what it teaches us and because it is the gateway into prayer. Oh, very beautiful. The Psalms give us the words that we need to speak to God. Thank you so much. Serving from the front, serving behind the scenes. Thank you. <coughs> and the Psalms give us the words that we need to speak to God. And if you think about it, the scriptures are all God's words to us. You know, we, we read the Bible, this is God's word to us, given as a gift. But in the Bible, God has given us the book of Psalms, which is his word to us, which is words to pray back to him which is quite unique if you think about it. Words given to us to pray back to him. He speaks to us so that we can speak to him. <coughs> Tim Keller, another pastoral hero of mine, says every situation in life is represented in the book of Psalms. Psalms anticipate and train you for every possible spiritual, social, and emotional condition. They show you what the dangers are and what you should keep in mind what your attitude should be, how to talk to God about it, and how to get from God the help you need. <coughs> the Psalms are a gift to us. I know um, Jamie publicly and boldly said on Friday that you're gonna be in the book of Mark for 10 years. Um, I think it was a joke, but I'm not sure. So it might be a while before you preach through any other Psalms other than today. But I'd encourage you, in your diet of the book of Mark, maybe occasionally read a psalm, pray a psalm through. I think it could encourage you and help you. So with all of that said, we're gonna look at Psalm 1 today if you've got a Bible and you wanna open there. And this chapter, this gateway into the book of Psalms is gonna teach us about two ways to live, two different paths to choose, two types of life to build, two types of ways to be human. So let's read it together. I'm gonna to read from the CSB. If you do have a different translation, I'm sorry, but it could be interesting to read yours. The CSB says this, how happy, if you've got an ESV or an NIV, it says how blessed or blessed is. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight, it's a word that's really popped for me today, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. He's like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. 
The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment nor sinners in the assemblies of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. (coughs) Something I love here is that in the first chapter of the book of Psalms, the first word in the book of Psalms that teaches us to pray is the Hebrew word ashrei, which means how happy. So that's the word you get as you enter into the Psalms, how happy or blessed is, or to quote the Bible project guys, hey, that person over there, they've got the good life. That's what they say that word means. So blessed or happy is the way the book of Psalms starts. It might also remind you of the start of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon ever preached in Matthew 5. When he starts his Beatitudes, he starts with blessed is, or how happy. So in a Psalm about two ways to live, and in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount about two ways to live, We have the similar introduction, which is, of course, on purpose, how happy is, blessed is, inviting us to choose the way of life that God has got for us, that he's designed us for, and Jesus calling us into his kingdom life. So someone shows us how to be happy. But if you look at the last word in the last verse in verse six, the last word in Psalm one is the word ruin or destruction in some other translations. So the psalm starts with happy is, and it ends with ruin. It's showing us these two ways to live, the way of happiness and the way of ruin, and sandwiched between those two words is how to do those kinds of life, and which one will you pick, an invitation to choose a certain way. So let's read verse one and two again. (coughs) How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. And we see here in Psalm 1 that we've got the option that mankind has had since the beginning in the Garden of Eden. And you'll probably notice in Psalm 1 some Garden of Eden imagery. There's a tree of life, there's a river that's flowing that's really intentional in the design of the psalm. But since the beginning, mankind has had the freedom to choose the freedom to choose who we will trust and follow, the freedom to choose which way we will choose to go and what kind of thing, what foundation we will build our lives on. And someone is offering that choice to us again. So verse one says, how happy is the one who does not do certain things? And verse two starts, instead, they choose to do these other things. We make the choice of which way we will go and which life we will live. We choose. And Psalm 1 is telling us that this happiness, this blessedness, this good life that it's speaking about is a possibility for us. And some of us in this room believe that. We're like, of course, you know. If I make one or two changes, my life is gonna be happy, it's gonna be good, it's gonna be exactly what I want. You you just instinctively believe that. Others of us in this room don't. You know, we're not so sure. We think maybe after this life, things will be good again. But I'm not so sure in this life maybe because of something you've been through or something that you've experienced or something that's been said to you, you're not so sure that the good life could be in this life or that you could be happy here and now. But what someone tells us is that happiness is possible, it's just not guaranteed. Happiness is possible, it's just not guaranteed. Someone is telling us that we can't live any way we like and do whatever we want and choose any way we want and do, just be free to do anything and expect that we will end up in the place that someone is offering to us. 
It's saying that there is a very specific way to live and very specific things to do, that if we choose them, will lead to the good life that probably all of us in this room desire. And God is showing us in someone the specific way that he's offering to us. So what is that way? Psalm 1 verse one, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. <coughs> Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. If you guys could leave verse one up for the rest, well, for the next few minutes. If you look at verse one there, do you have the CSB? If you could, that would be great. Otherwise, this might not track perfectly, but it's okay. There are like three triplets going on in this verse. Three words that align and work together. The words walk, stand, and sit. Um, walk, stand, and sit, the same. Advice, pathway, and company. Or counsel, way, and seat. And wicked, sinners, and mockers. It's pretty much there, don't stress. So those three triplets are showing us a different way to live, the way of ruin, the way that is different to the way that Jesus is calling us to and the writer of Psalm 1 is calling us to. The way of verse one is not the way God has designed us. This is not the way people flourish when we live this way. So the first of the three triplets is follow, take, and join. Anyway, in my Bible it says walk, stand, and sit. Walk, stand, and sit. And what we see here is this process of someone who is walking and comes to a halt. They slow down. From the direction they're going, the things that they're about, they slow down and they completely stop. No more momentum. And then they go from stopping to sitting. So now they're at home here. This person has been going in a certain journey and they begin to listen to what's going on, what these three types of people are speaking about. And they say, this sounds really interesting. I wanna listen into this, I'm fascinated. And their walking that goes to sitting becomes, uh, sorry, that goes to standing becomes sitting and belonging and becoming one of that group. That's what's going on here. There's a gradual conforming to the ways of the world that is going on in verse one of Psalm one. It's a gradual, slow process. This doesn't just happen like this. You don't go from walking to, well, you could try. Go like brisk walk to just sitting straight away. It would probably hurt a little bit, but this is a gradual process. They're walking, they stop and listen, then they sit and they feel a part of what's going on. And for us as we come into the psalm, I'd love you to personalize this for a second. Just pastorally to think of yourself and where you're at and think what are the influences on my life right now? What am I listening to? What's impacting me? Where am I walking or where am I standing or where am I sitting? Where do I belong? Because someone is saying that's gonna have a significant effect on you. To sit in the ancient world means something different to how we would think today. You know, you guys are all sitting and I'm standing. But in Jesus' day, when he taught, he sat down. He sat when he preached the Sermon on the Mount. He, he sat when he taught in synagogues, because sitting had a position of authority. Today, judges sit in court when they decide a decision, when they make a judgment. There's an authority around their sitting, and that's what's going on in Psalm 1 verse 1. There's an authority to the sitting that's going on, and these people that are sitting there aren't just sitting there laid back. That, that's the way I read Psalm 1 verse 1. 
They're sitting, hanging out with their friends, maybe talking about some controversial ideas, having a good time. But what's really going on in someone is these mockers are defiantly anti-God. They are speaking with authority. They are actually evangelizing. They're calling people. They're saying, come, join us. They're trying to convert people. And then as people sit, they belong and they become one of the mockers. That's what's going on here. And their advice, their way, their company, their counsel is going out. And someone is saying, don't listen to it. Don't be shaped by it. Don't be formed by it. Because they're calling people in. And people begin to consider the things that they're speaking about. And then they stop, they stand, they listen, they participate. And then they become a part of that group. They belong. They're fully involved. They're influenced and shaped by it. Because whatever shapes our thinking is gonna shape who we become. And the community that we most belong to and identify with is gonna decide who we are. So some of you won't like this, but Psalm 1 is a fortune-telling psalm. Psalm 1 is saying, I can tell you your future. It's like, I know where you're going. I know where you're gonna end up. Saying, if you wanna know, do this. Who are you listening to? Who is most influencing your thinking and your life? Secondly, what type of life are you living and what are the kinds of things that you are doing? And thirdly, who are you hanging out with? Where are you finding belonging? Because the biggest influence on your life and influences are gonna shape your future. So what does someone tell you about you, your future, who you're becoming, where you're gonna end up? The third group are the wicked, the sinner, and the scoffer. Those aren't really words that we use, you know, so going through them, it seems a little bit strange. But there are three types of destructive way to be human. And the scoffer is the most anti-God of the three. In fact, if you go read Proverbs 19, it gives like a, a layout of who the scoffer is. This person is anti-God. They have the hardest heart. They're most resistant towards God. They're not just a, a friendly kind of naughty person with a twinkle in the eye. They hate God. That's who the scoffer is. But the happy person is not like them. They're living a different kind of way. They're, they're thinking a different kind of way. They're choosing a different kind of life. And Psalm 1 verse 2 says, instead, their delight is in the Lord's instruction and they meditate on it day and night. So I don't know if you guys remember in 2021, but Jamie and Lise came into Harbor City for the first time. And Jamie and I, we co-taught a series together in this church called Eat This Book. Does anyone remember that? One hand, Kerry, I appreciate that. Okay, we've got a few. Uh, the whole preacher thing is, I see that hand. I don't know if you've ever seen that Venn diagram, that whole lift your hands up thing. It's like bank robbers, preachers, and DJs. Lift your hand, anyway, it's not a good joke. But um, Jamie came in and we were preaching Eat This Book Together, which was about the Bible. And it comes from the book of Ezekiel in the Old Testament, a scripture that says, eat the scroll. And it was from a book that had inspired both of us called Eat This Book by Eugene Peterson. And in that book, he talks about what meditation means. And he talks about his dog. Now, Eugene Peterson lived in the forest of Montana. He had a lot of land, a lot of trees, just beautiful paths for this dog to run. And he said his dog would just disappear for hours and then come back with this impressive bone. And he'd be chewing on this bone. He'd almost parade it around, be like, Eugene, Jan, what do you think of my bone? And um, they'd be like, just do your thing. And he'd chew this bone and lick this bone and you know, nip the bone and roll it around and he'd just enjoy it for hours and hours on their lawn. 
And then after a few hours, he would dig a hole and bury the bone, and then the next day, pull it up again, and do the same thing, gnaw at it, and lick it, and bite it, and enjoy it. And that, he says that would last for like a week or two. And what Peterson says is meditating on God's word is like that dog with the bone. We enjoy it, we savor it, we mull it over, we marinate on it, we, we really wrestle with it for a period of time. That's what it means to meditate. So the big idea in Psalm 1 is not just read your Bible a lot. I think that's a good thing to do. Like I'm, I'm pro-Bible, just hear me, pro-Bible. I'm just saying that's not what Psalm 1 is saying. As we go into a new year, it would be easy to say, hey, let's make a New Year's resolution or goal or habit or whatever you wanna say. Let's read a Bible in one year plan or let's read the Bible more or do a daily devotion or something like that. That's all really good. It's just not what Psalm 1 is talking about. Meditation is describing an active reading and pondering on the text. So, for example, Eastern meditation is about emptying your mind. Christian meditation is about filling your mind with God's word and letting it shape and form you. So Richard Baxter, this old 17th century British pastor, described meditation in this way. I think this is beautiful. He said, step one, meditation is fixing the mind on a particular truth. Step two, it's speaking to your own heart about that truth. And then step three, you do this until God comes near and you feel his presence. So if you wanted to practice this tomorrow, if you have a morning devotion time, get up, get out your Bible, read a bit of it. I'm not saying a whole chapter, maybe, maybe a chapter, maybe a chunk, maybe a verse and fix your mind on the truth of that passage. Well, what is this saying? And then think about it, like that dog with the bone. Think about it and pray it through so that it impacts your heart. <coughs> and do that until God comes near. You feel his presence and he meets with you. One of the things I've been most excited about with coming back to Durban, other than seeing people like friends, family, being here, um, Shell and I are going away for a night this week, which will be fun. Other than that, has been I love the wine in South Africa. And I've missed it, man. There's some really good wine in this country. I realize you might not drink, that's okay. I drink a little bit. I really enjoy a bit of red wine. So having some of my favorite reds has been great. And there's two ways, well, there's probably a few ways you can drink wine. One way is you just pour yourself a glass and while you're doing other things, you just drink it, you know? You're washing the dishes, you have a sip, you're watching TV, you're talking to someone, um, you're doing work or errands or whatever it is, and the wine isn't really what you're doing, the wine is just a part of it, you know? It's one of the things, you're multitasking. The other thing is almost your wine taste. So you get a nice bottle of wine, or a few, and you pour some into a glass. Well, little, little pours, we're talking responsible Christian drinking of wine here. Do a few little pours, and you swirl it around on the glass to see how it engages with the glass. How quickly is it going back down? And then you sniff the wine. You, you try and get as much of the nose as you can, you know? And then you, Glenda at the back is like, Grant, you're doing a terrible job explaining how to engage with, I should have done this. And then you pour the wine over your tongue so that it hits all of your taste buds. Not just the front, like you wanna get it over, so that you're picking up all of the different notes and the nuance and the complexity and the levels of the swine. And when you do that kind of wine drinking, it's about the wine. The wine is the thing that you're doing. 
The other type, the wine is it's not important. But when you wine taste, you're stopping everything else to just drink the wine and focus on the wine and enjoy the wine. And that's what's going on in Psalm 1. It's talking about a kind of Bible reading which is not multitasking and it's not distracted, but it's slow and leisurely. You're swirling it around in your mouth. You're breathing it in. You're, you're letting the scriptures impact you in a deep way, and then you're carrying that into the rest of the day with you too. This is not rushed or distracted, but you are engaging with God's word so that you can come into his presence and be with him. Someone is not just about reading the Bible, it's about practicing the presence of God throughout the day. It's about a life rooted in God's word and rooted in him that is aware of him throughout all, as much as you can throughout the day, practicing his presence and enjoying being with him. That's what the good life is. Psalm 1 verse 3. He, the happy person, is like a tree planted beside flowing streams. Remember, think back, Garden of Eden, that bears its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. And the happiness that the psalmist is speaking about isn't a happiness that comes from circumstances, from health or wealth or success or everything going your way. No, the happy person goes through the seasons of life. Remember, this tree is planted in the Middle East. This is not in Durban during the rainy season. This is not a lush, green environment. This is a tree planted in the Middle East where it's dry and hot. It's enduring the seasons of life and the heat and struggles of life. And the happy person goes through these seasons too. Maybe you're in a high right now, or maybe you're in a low. You know, maybe you're going through relational conflict or financial issues, or maybe things are just not going your way. You're feeling disappointed with God and with life. Maybe you've got um, unexpected curveballs or stress or, or whatever it is. The person in Psalm 1 goes through those things too. They go, go through them, but they're able to find happiness even in the midst of them because of something external to themselves, because of God, because they're planted in God and trusting in Him. And this is in contrast again to the person in verse one who is planted with this group of mockers and sinners and wicked people. He's planted there and he's being shaped there and he's being influenced there and he's becoming a certain type of person there. That, that is not the kind of person who can endure happiness in the highs and lows of life. And just to show you the symmetry of this chapter, we've linked it to Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. In Jeremiah 17, you basically get exactly the same picture. We've got two types of trees planted in two types of environments. One is the person who trusts in themselves, who trusts in man, who trusts what is natural. The other is planted in God, is drawing on the life of God and is bearing fruit because of God. The one is a green tree in hard seasons. The other is like a tumbleweed. It's lifeless and rootless and it just kind of blows around. And in Jeremiah and Psalm 1 and Matthew 5, the writers and God is saying to us, which kind of life do you want to live? <coughs> this person in verse 3 is a tree in a dry climate that is bearing fruit. And the thing that we can easily miss is that all of this life-givingness that is coming to the tree is invisible. So what I mean is the, the water that it's drawing on through its roots, just the nourishment it gets from the soil, the, the photosynthesis that's going on as the sun comes upon it, 
Those three elements are going on, but we don't see it. We don't notice it. <coughs> and it could be the same in our lives. You know, as you are following Jesus, as you are meditating on his word, as you are responding to him, this is a beautiful church. Hey, look at this. Water, I get a cough drop. Just so you know, this cough is not COVID or anything like that. Some of you are like, why is this guy up front today? I didn't sleep for like four nights just with jet lag and plane stuff, so my body is a little bit hammered right now. But I can see you. Hopefully what I'm saying is lucid. Just don't, if you're stressed, don't stress. My body is just a bit tired. It's all the wine. Um, so this tree is going through a lot of change, but it's invisible and unseen. We can't see the change that's happening. We don't see the water. We don't see the soil. We don't see the sun's effect on it. And the change is slow and gradual. Have you ever seen a dry brown tree, limp leaves, dying fruit, and you pour a little bit of water on it and it just goes boing, green, big lush fruit on it? It's just so healthy. Of course not. If you're gonna rehabilitate a tree, it's gonna be slowly over time, gradually, with the right responses. But as the water and the soil and the sun nourish that tree over time, it becomes healthy and green. And as God's word nourishes our souls slowly over time, we bear that kind of fruit and become those kinds of people. In these small ways, these incremental ways, change happens. So don't go, grow weary of doing good. Paul the Apostle says it this way in the book of 2 Corinthians. He say, says that as we behold God, as we practice his presence, we are transformed into his image from one degree of glory to another. Now it's a long time since I've used one of those protractors or whatever it's called, but a degree is small. Remember there's 360 of them. So if you're making one degree of change at a time, it's not very impressive. It might not be noticeable. No one, maybe no one will come up to you and say, I can see how much you're growing and changing. I can see how fruitful and green you are. It's so beautiful to behold. But slowly over time, you're becoming the kind of person that the psalm is speaking about. A person experiencing the good life and bearing fruit and knowing God and dwelling with him throughout the day and in all things. Over time and with consistency, there is this influence on our souls that impacts us and transforms us. but we need to be planted where someone is calling us to be planted. And if we plant ourselves somewhere else, we'll become a completely different kind of person. Eventually, slowly, maybe unnoticeably over time, you wanted to become this person, but because of the life you've chosen, you end up over there. You become a completely different kind of person. You were heading in this direction, but because of the voices that have been shaping and impacting your life, because of what you're doing with your time, because of where you're belonging, you end up in a completely different place, one small degree of change at a time. Peter Scazzaro says, who we are internally, we will eventually become externally. Which, depending on where you're at, that could be really good or really bad news, you know? In Matthew 7, Jesus talks about two ways to live and two ways to be human, very similar to Psalm 1 talks about the narrow path and the broad path, the narrow way and the broad way. The narrow way, he says, leads to life, but it's difficult and few people choose it. 
The broad way is easy, and lots of people choose it. And I was chatting to someone the other day, and they said to me, Grant, you know what? This is a Christian person. They're like, sin is amazing. <laughs> sin feels really, really good. <laughs> sin is really desirable. And it's true. Like, if you, you guys look like you're disagreeing with me. Maybe you need to hear me out. You're like, whoa, Jamie, whoa, where's this guy going? Sin is tremendous. That's why so many people do it. Some of you are still like, okay, just wait, just wait. Sin in the short term is incredible. But over time, it leads to ruin. So that's why we get into it. We're like, this is amazing. I'm enjoying this so much. This is great. But it leads us to a kind of life that we don't want. And this guy was saying, I'm so tempted to do all these things. I I desire to do all these things. I want all of these things. I just know it's not gonna give me the life that I want. The life I want is down this path, but it's hard. He wasn't struggling with the truth of it. He was struggling with the difficulty of it. And Jesus says many people are gonna give up on following him because it's a hard path. Someone is showing us that what we do does something to us. Over time, it's shaping us and changing us and giving us a certain kind of life, either a life that is the good life or a life of ruin. And I know choosing to follow Jesus can be hard and costly, Some of you on Friday night, we're talking about the beautiful things Jesus is doing in your life, and that's so incredible. I loved hearing it. I mean, Miles isn't here today, but hearing him share what God and Heather had been doing in his life was really encouraging. And then hearing Mtobisi share about just finding this community and being baptized here last week, two weeks ago, okay, 14 days. Um, And who was that? Caitlin just sharing about feeling lost a year ago and then literally walking past the Harbor City sign and saying, that's where they meet, I'm gonna go and finding life in Jesus. It's so beautiful. But if you're not in that season of life, if right now you're like, that's great for them, but I'm not enjoying this right now. Following Jesus feels like a chore. The scriptures speak about that. You shouldn't be surprised by that. It's okay keep going because one degree at a time you're changing to become who Jesus wants you to be. So which way will you choose? The way of life? The way of ruin? Which way are you going right now? Who are you listening to? Where are you belonging? Who are you becoming? One last thing and we'll pray and close. Some of you are on the Psalm 1 way to the good life. You're like, this is encouraging but I'm good. You know, thanks for, for the affirmation, Grant, but I'm heading this way. Others of you maybe don't feel like that. And this could be a really discouraging message today. You're like, cool, ruin and destruction. Thanks, Grant. I appreciate that. Uh, good to know. But Jesus gives another beautiful picture of different ways in Luke chapter 15. In the parable of the prodigal son, he speaks about a younger brother who chooses the way of sin because it's so pleasurable. And he goes wild, he has a lot of fun. You know, he enjoys the sin. The thing I was talking about earlier where you were all like, whoa, he enjoys it. He spends all of his money on it. He gives all of his time to it. And at the end, because of running out of money and because of external factors, he finds himself in ruin, the thing that someone is speaking about. And he thinks to himself, if I were to turn around, I've gone down the path of ruin. But if I were to turn around and go back to my father, 
I think I would have a better life. And maybe that's you today, I don't know. But he turns around and he heads back to his father and he doesn't find crossed arms, he finds open arms. He doesn't find a father who's waiting at the end of that path. He finds a father who runs down the path to embrace him. So this morning, if you feel like I'm definitely heading down the path that I shouldn't be, if you were to turn today, the Father in heaven would embrace you. He loves you. He's pursuing you. He's waiting on you. If you desire the good life, it can be yours. But choose to follow his way. And I believe he'll meet you at the end.